Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. More information about Lifehouse and our senior pastors, Richard and Helen Kabakian, can be found at lifehouse.com.au. We hope you enjoy the following message. Well, hey, it's, it's an honour to be here. Um, it really is. Uh, your pastors are two of the greatest people on the planet. And we moved, me, my wife and my family, we moved to Melbourne nearly five years ago now. Uh, at the end of August, it will be five years since I moved to Melbourne. Yes, God delivered me from that horrible city called Sydney. And uh, I now know what the best place in the whole world is, Melbourne. And uh, I actually, I'm not trying to just buddy you up. I actually love it. I, I uh, grew up at Hillsong Church in Sydney. I uh, had the pleasure and privilege of being our youth pastor in London for four years and got to plant our church in Paris. And so I've been in, I was spent like every weekend in Paris for 18 months. It sounds nice, but trust me, when you're pushing road cases through snow and you don't actually get to see anything but the Eiffel Tower through a train window, it's just so sad. And, um, but got to move back to Sydney about 10 years ago, eight years ago now. And then we got the tap on the shoulder to come to Melbourne and oversee all our campuses here in Melbourne, which there was not many campuses when we got started. We started with 31 people in a lounge room in Turak. And uh, that was kind of where we got going. And then we figured out where's the best place to live. And so I live in glorious Ascot Vale, just two minutes down the road, which is fantastic. I'm a part of the West is Best crew in Jesus' name. Amen. And so since then, in five years, uh, you know, Hillstone Melbourne's seen incredible things. We meet together with my wife. Uh, we've now got five locations between here and Tasmania we oversee as well. And so I get down to Tasmania and Hobart, give everyone a high six down there for you. It's fantastic. And... Uh, And so it's been a wonderful journey for us. And in that time, uh, you know, Melbourne and especially in the city, we've seen lots of transient uh, students. And so we've seen lots of people come in for a season and go out. But we've seen over 15,000 people make a decision for Jesus Christ. And that is an incredible thing for our city. And we're thankful that we get to partner with churches like you and your pastors. And we're just so thankful to be part of it. They were the first people to invite me over for dinner in Melbourne. And so that's why I know that your pastors are the best and we love them. And so I hope you miss them. I hope you're praying for them, but they'll be home soon in Jesus' name. Well, you ready for the Word? Okay, awesome. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You so much for the power of Your Word in our lives. And God, I pray over these next few moments together. Look, God, You'd speak to us by Your Holy Spirit, that You would uh, be at work in our lives, be at work in this room. Look, God, we didn't just come to church this morning to be entertained or go through religious obligations, but Father, we came to meet with You. So have Your way, speak to us. May we leave this place being more like the men and women of God that You've created us and purposed us to be. Have Your way, I pray in Jesus' mighty Name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I hope there's a device or a pen or a piece of paper in your hand because it's more spiritual when you take notes. Uh, God loves you more. Uh, Pastors love you more. Preachers love you more. It's just a secret. So if you don't have one, just steal some from the person next to you and uh, give it back to them because it's church. You can't steal and take stuff home with you. But uh, hopefully at least, if you don't take anything down, look for something that God is speaking to you this morning. God knows who you are. God knows your journey. God knows what you're going through. He knows your dreams. He knows what's going on right now. And I'm praying and believing uh, that there'll be one thing, maybe a verse, maybe a thought, maybe a Scripture this morning that you would walk away with the Holy Spirit saying, that's for you, that's for you. I don't know about you, but I can't be bothered coming to church and playing games. I can't be bothered going through motions. Um, I've just got off holidays. I could have gone to our own services down the road, but I really wanted to come here with a Word of God for you, not to entertain you, hopefully not just to keep you awake. That's the very bare minimum. But together this morning that we would have an encounter with Jesus God, Jesus Christ. Can anyone say Amen? Amen. 
Jesus God. It's, a, it's another name of the Trinity. Fantastic. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to, uh, uh, to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Everyone say mature. Become mature, uh, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you know that there's this whole measure, this wonderful measure of Christ that God has for every single one of our lives? That how you are today, the kind of person you are, maybe the person you were six months ago, hopefully you are progressing. Hopefully uh, you are on this process of maturity. You know, when I say this word or say this kind of title, if you're looking for a title this morning, um, it's maturity through community, maturity through community. And this whole maturity concept, it's for me, I, I, when I grow up, I felt like, you know, there's negative connotations to the maturity word. It's like, oh, here we go again. Pastor Tim is just going to tell us how much we need to get better, stop being naughty, uh, be better at being a Christian, read the Word more, pray more. And yes, all those things are important, but maturity is so much more. It's not just about all the things that need to fall off our lives and none of us here are perfect. And so we've all got stuff we need to let go of. But maturity is just as much as letting things go as it is having the right things come onto our lives. You know, we have this wonderful Gospel that is this wonderful Gospel of the tone of it is whosoever may come. That Jesus says, whosoever may come to me. It's, we have these churches that are saying, I guess these taglines, I heard it this morning, come as you are. And I love that we have a church that says, come as you are, but please, come as you are, but please, please, don't stay as you are. Don't stay as you are. You have a progress. You have a way in Christ to follow that is so much better than who you are now. So much better than who you once were. You know, if we were just always staying where we are, we would always be immature. Now, some of that is good. Some, of, you know, can you imagine going back to primary school where your biggest problem was what you were going to do on holidays? Like that would be just fantastic. I look at my kids and they get to have all these holidays per year. And I'm like, I just, I wish. My biggest problem was packing my lunch and getting off to school. Like that would be okay. We just had Hillsong Conference. And I love our Hillsong Conference in July. It's, it's amazing. And there was this one day, this one uh, session where we had to go into this new venue and there was lots of packing down going on and not enough hands. You ever been in those situations where you have an option to either stand around, watch people do something? Or I was like, hey, I, I know how to pack chairs. I can get in there and, and do it. And the, one of the students was there. He's like, listen, we need uh, stacks of 10, not eight, not seven, not 12, but stacks of 10. And I'm like, mate, I have got this covered. I'm like, I just was flashing back to the time in ministry, if the only thing, or if the biggest thing of my problems amounted to not 10, no, sorry, not 12, not eight, but 10 chairs, if that's all my ministry problems were, I would be a happy, happy pastor. And I'm like, imagine if days were just, if I could just go back to those days. You know, it would not be fitting for me if I hadn't matured in my, uh, in my, into adulthood. You know, imagine if Tim Douglas, great, he's coming to preach this morning, then he's still in nappies as he comes in. It's not a good look. It's not a good fit. You know, like uh, no pastor in nappies should ever be allowed on the platform. It's just, it's just not cool. But sometimes in our Christianity, that's exactly like we are on the inside. We've just got very clever with showing people how good we look and mature on the outside. We think uh, being a Christian for a certain amount of years equates to maturity. We think that how you pray and the vocabulary, the Christian vocabulary you have equates to maturity. So you hear someone pray like, oh my goodness, did you hear them pray? They used words like anointing and they used words like spiritual and they just used incredible God words. This is amazing. When you pray, all sorts of interesting words come out of your mouth. But if you could just be more like that prayer, then you'd be mature. And so often we make the mistake in thinking that maturity is what we see rather than what's being developed. 
And there's so many ways that maturity can happen in our lives. There's, you know, obviously there's the Word of God and as we read it this morning, it helps us develop maturity. And you know, those verses where it helps us understand we have to forgive more. We have to let go of things easier. We have to change our mindsets. That's a way to maturity. There's the way of maturity of our prayer life and, and seeking God and hearing by His Holy Spirit, the things that we need to change. And yes, that's important. And all these things, there's so many Christian disciplines that helps create maturity in our lives. But the one I wanna talk about this morning is maturity through community. See, I can pray and the Holy Spirit can say, hey Tim, it's time to let go of that attitude. And I can be like, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to that. But maybe a week, maybe a month, even sometimes a year later, we can be still like, I'll get around to that issue. Or maybe it can be something I see in the Word. It's like, you know what, I've got to change that mindset. I've got to change how I'm thinking about that issue. But because there's no one to discuss it with, there's no one to kind of hold, help me keep accountable, it's kind of like easy for me just to keep going around the same mountain. I know it's no one here at Lifehouse. It's all those pesky Hillsong naughty people. I know you're all perfect. But so often without community, when we're in a relationship with someone, it's so much easier for someone to go, hey, um, you, there's so much bad talk coming out of your mouth, so much negativity. I reckon you should start to change that. And it's something strong about community that helps each other become better and more fruitful in our walk with Christ. See this wonderful uh, Scripture, if we turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, it says, He is the one, talking about Christ, that He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone. Who? Oh, look at you smart people this morning. Everyone, the 9.30, they struggled a little bit, but you, you're, you're, good at, you're passing with flying colours. But may present everyone, every single one of us, not just the person that looks like they're a good Christian on your road, but you as well, that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, I strenuously contend with all energy, Christ so powerfully works in me. You know this word fully mature that we're talking about this morning? In the Greek, if there's anyone, I know there's a few uh, Greek nationalities here, amen. Love you and your food and are fantastic. But however, this word, fully mature, teleos. And when Paul was talking about teleos at this moment, he's talking about that you would be fully mature, complete. This sense of without blemish. There's another verse that talks about in Ephesians chapter 5 where it talks about the, the analogy of a husband loving wives and that the bride of Christ will be getting ready that we may present ourselves without wrinkle, without blemish and fully assured in, in Him. Now, who would like to be fully without wrinkles this morning? Amen. Yeah, a few of us, the rest of you lies. That's cool. However, we can, we can be people and understanding this context that Paul's saying, hey, don't just stay as you are. There is much more when you follow Christ. There is much greater days ahead of you. You, Some of you think, hey, the good old glory days of 15 years of, of Lifehouse Church and it's been fantastic. But hey, who knows? There is much more ahead of you guys as an incredible church here in Melbourne and two campuses is great, but there's more ahead. But what happens is as you all become mature as individuals, we as the bride of Christ become mature in all that has, uh, we have to do. And Christ says, that's the bride I was coming back for. And if we stay immature, if we stay unresolved issues, if we stay selfish, we become, instead of the bride of Christ that He's coming back for, we become more like Bridezilla. Have you seen some of those reality TV programs? I haven't seen one in full entirety. I've seen a, a commercial, which is enough for me to watch some bride turn that day into absolute chaos because it wasn't how she wanted, when she wanted, and cakes are flying everywhere. People are getting slapped across the head. It's just crazy. But we wouldn't be the kind of church that like, is like that, that we wouldn't be competitive with one another, that we wouldn't be jealous of one another, that we would look like, why have they got more Facebook friends than me than one another? But we'll be someone and a people of God who say, hey, I'm contending for you. You're contending for me, that we can be this perfect, wonderful, mature bride of Christ that is exactly who God intended us to be in Jesus' Name. 
Oh, that we'd become that kind of church. But you've got to understand this, this word teleos, it means without blemish, yes, it means complete. I love this part of this word, that nothing which belongs left out. Nothing which belongs left out. You have a journey to walk in Christ. He has fantastic things for you. He's got an incredible future for you. But just as much as the right things need to fall off, He's got the right things to add on. And so I believe it's through maturity, through community, that some of those great things get installed and added on. And so I wanna take a look at some of that this morning. But you've got to understand it's a process. It's a process. James chapter one and verse four says it like this, and let steadfastness, let steadfastness, let longevity, let, let you not quitting, let you, you know, having the good times, the bad times, the, the mountaintop experiences and the valleys, let you go through that whole as steadfast, let steadfastness have its full effect. I love this, that you may be perfect, complete and lacking nothing. This is good news for you on a Sunday morning, that your God, in His Word, has set out a way, not that maturity looks like you naughty little Christians, you better do better this morning. That is not why I came. I came to hold this up to you and say, hey, listen, God has got a way for you to live, which you may be perfect, complete and lacking nothing. What a good promise for you and I, that you can live a life in a certain way that in your marriage, in your career, in your business, in your ministry, that God's intention, heaven's intention for your life is not that you would be, oh, I just wish I had more. If I just was more talented like Pastor Dave, if I was just as good as looking as any teenager on the front row, if I just had more resources, then I could have the kind of business that I wanted. If I just had more, well, guess what? It's not found in a self-help book. It's not found in a certain uh, guru coming down and telling you what. No, it's found in the Word of God that says, hey, God wants you to be complete, perfect and lacking nothing. Oh, this is good news this morning. Oop, didn't pull a hemi, that's good news. I have to be up here because I'm vertically challenged. And while I want to preach down on the floor because I love being close to you, God made me four foot 10 and it's just how it is. So that's cool. So let's get into it this morning, maturity. Maturity through community. You know, the, the reality is we need each other because like the Bible says there, that we would be without blemish. And if you've got a blemish on you and you can't see it, you need other people to tell you what's up. Like I love that I have honest friends that if I've got something in my teeth or something wrong with my hair, they'll be like, hey Tim, you, you need to fix that in your teeth. You know, as a preacher, it's a nightmare. Imagine if you preach the whole message with your fly down. Like that, that is something that scares all preachers, but you've got to have friends that help you out and go, no, no, just fix this before you go. My eight-year-old, she loves to be that for me. I have three children, three, six and eight, Cooper, Leela and Alani. And uh, they are fantastic children most of the time. And I'm praying for them to get saved and become perfect children one day. However, I love them, they're fantastic. However, my eight-year-old, when I'm leaving the house, she'll see me get ready and then she'll just stand there in the hallway, look at me, arms folded and just look me up and down. And she'll be like, Dad, she just shakes her head. Dad, it doesn't work. That's not matching, that's not matching and that doesn't work, you need to go get changed. I'm like, you're eight years old, go to school. I don't care about what you say, I'm a grown man. I do not listen to an eight-year-old. And as she leaves the house, I'm like, okay, Linda, go change the hair, the top, the jeans. And I come out looking totally different, it's fine. But I do not want her to know that at eight years old, she already has this over me because God forbid what will look like when she becomes a teenager. However, we need people in our lives that can look at you and go, um, your attitude stinks. I love you, but it's gonna hurt you. We need people in our lives who, who love us enough to go, hey, hey, listen, you are gossiping about that person and it's not cool. Hey, hey I, I need to tell you that that, that attitude, that, that mentality is only gonna hurt your future if you keep holding on to that. We need people who are gonna, in our lives, go, hey, I know you think you've blown it, but you haven't. God is on your side. His grace is enough. You can get up and do and be who God's called you to be. We need people in community who are gonna help us be better than who we are currently. 
And there's like all I said, all those things are great for community, but there's this one guy who Paul talks about in, in Colossians chapter four. Maybe you've never heard of him before. His name's Epiphas. In, in Colossians chapter four and verse 12, it says, Epiphas is one of you and a servant of, of Christ Jesus. He sends his greetings. I love it. That Epiphas, he's named in the Bible and he's awesome. I don't think there's any Epiphases here this morning. It's not a very common name. Okay, cool. And this guy, Paul talks about him. He's the guy who started the Colossian church. He's, he's the leader. He's the pioneer. But yet he talks about us. Hey, he's just one of you guys. But watch what he does. He's just one of you. He's a humble guy. But he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature, mature and fully assured that there is a guy named Epiphas who isn't about making himself famous, who isn't about title or recognition. He's just one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, just like you. And his job isn't to be the man, his job is wrestling on your behalf, contending on your behalf, fighting on your behalf, so that you may be fully assured, that you may be fully mature, lacking nothing. This wonderful thought of perfect, lacking nothing, nothing that belongs left out. And this is the wonderful thing about Epiphas, and this is the thing that should reflect the Church of Jesus Christ. That this church will be filled with epiphases. Just look around you right now and call someone epiphas. That you would say, hey, you're a great epiphas. That it wouldn't be filled with the superstars. It wouldn't be filled with the talent. People going, hey, can I be the next worship leader? Can I be the next pastor? I want, I want my name up in lights. Oh no. That we're, our job as Christians isn't to have our sense of fame or even have our sense of importance. It's, hey, I'm just one of you. You're just one of us. We're all servants of Jesus Christ. But can I tell you, we all wrestle for one another in our prayer life. We're all saying, hey, come on, I'm right behind you. I'm your biggest fan. I'm your biggest cheerleader. Together we can change this city and this nation for Christ. That is what is wonderful about this picture. And that is what we understand when we look at the life of Saul. So I wanna quickly over the next few moments together that we have left is look at Saul who mentioned this guy named Epiphas because Saul wasn't all, sorry, Paul wasn't always Paul. Paul wasn't always this superman Christian who went around starting churches and talking to people like Epiphas. See, Paul was once a, a, a Christian murderer. He was trying to murder Christians. He had gone to the authorities and said, hey, listen, his name was Saul at the time. He hated Christians. He hated people who were following Jesus Christ. His view on Christians, whether they were a cult, they were absolutely just destructive to the Jewish way of life. And so he needed to stop them. So he went to the authorities and said, give me a letter. So I'm gonna to go to the Damascus where a bunch of the Christians are gathered. And Saul said, I'm gonna to get to Damascus and I'm gonna take not just the men, but I'm gonna get the women as well. And we're gonna pull everyone together. We'll bring them back to Jerusalem and we'll stone them to death and we'll wipe out finally this Christian thing. Jesus will be gone. We'll never have to worry about it again. Problem is he's on the road to Damascus and some of you who know your Bible know what happens next. He's on the road to Damascus and he gets a huge vision. He gets, here's Jesus and Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna use you and hey, why are you persecuting me? He has this wonderful dialogue. But poor Saul, excuse me, ends up in this house blind for a few days. And there he is. And at the other side of this and his ministry and getting involved, we find out that he's Paul. And you and me think, oh, isn't that nice? He was Saul, the Christian killer. Then he became a Christian. Now he's Paul and this mighty man of God that we, we read about today. But the issue is we miss out that the fact that between Saul becoming Paul from that conversion moment, from seeing Jesus and becoming named Paul and recognised as Paul was actually 14 years. 14 years of process, of maturity, of lessons learnt, of the wrong things falling off and the right things being picked up. He becomes the man of God that we recognise. God was always using him as God was always preparing him. And God was always preparing him as God was always using him. And so often we think, hey, I've gone through the preparation process. 
I'm mature now. I'm done. God, thank you. Tap me out of any more preparation. I am holy. I am ready. I'm, I'm going to write another book of the Bible if you need me to. I'm ready to be on your team. Uh, my maturation is done. And God says, no, I will use you at the same time I prepare you, but I'll also prepare you at the same time I use you. And this is what Saul understood. But we want a shortcut 14 years. We love to go, well, hey, I, I'm arrived. I'm done. I'm saved. Now I'm ready to do your thing. Yes, you can be involved and you can serve and absolutely God wants to use you, but make sure you never negate the maturing process. If Saul becoming Paul took 14 years, oh goodness, how much longer do we need to understand what God needs to do in our maturing process? So here's the first thought. If we're gonna maximise maturity through community this morning, if you, we are gonna be the bride of Christ, not the bride of, bridezilla, but the bride of Christ that He wants us to be, then number one, how to maximise maturity through community is just turn up. Just turn up. Saul is now blind. He's in this house for three days. And Jesus now appears to a Christian named Ananias. And I'll read it to you. It's found in Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. It's one of my favourite parts of this, this story. And he calls out to Ananias and he says, Yes, Lord. In verse 11, the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. What a straight street. What a great name. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Paul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, if, if, if this is me, if Jesus appears to me in a vision and says, hey, go to that street and pray for a guy there, he's gonna get healed. I'm like, yes, I get to see someone open their eyes and get healed from blindness. I'm in, I'll knock on every door on street, straight street, I'll find Jesus' house, I'm there, I'm keen. We find Ananias isn't so up for the challenge. He's not so keen on going to the straight street and finding this guy named Saul. And watch what he says in verse 13. Have you ever argued with God? I love that the Bible helps us record people who argued with God. And he puts a good case. He's like, well, um, Lord, and a nice answered, um, uh, well, I've heard many, many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Here's Ananias just making sure he knows God is God and he knows God knows all things, but he's just trying to remind him. He's like, um, Jesus, maybe you've slipped past a certain piece of detail here. This guy has been killing people. He's come here to kill me and my friends and your people. And so are you sure you've got the right Ananias? Is there another Ananias that you wanna send to Straight Street? Because if I'm there and I pray for Saul and he opens his eyes, guess who the first Christian that he's going to see and want to kill? Me, I would rather not be Ananias today. Is there any other Ananias? But I love God's reaction. Watch what He says, go. He says, but Lord said, Ananias, go. There wasn't any reason, there wasn't, it's just, no, just be quiet, go. But then I love how he gets him on side. He says, this man is my chosen instrument to reclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. Awesome, but this is where he gets Ananias over the line. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then it's like, okay. And then it says, next verse, and then Ananias went. I love that. That Ananias was like, oh, you mean I get to pray for him, but then I also get to tell him how much he gets to suffer? Oh, I'm in, oh, I'm in. I love that we get to see the humanity of, our, of the disciples. But here's the deal. If Ananias didn't turn up at Straight Street to pray for Saul, Saul never opens his eyes, never starts to minister, never starts to meet people. People never trust him. He never gets to become the Saul that turns into Paul because someone just chose to turn up. When we choose to turn up, I wonder how we turn up. Well, do we drag our feet? Oh, do I really have to go to church today? God, 
10 degrees outside, I'd rather just stay under the dune this morning. Do I really have to go to life group? Do I really have to serve? When we get home from work, do I really have to be here? When we turn up to work, do I really have to be here? Some of us, we don't understand just the power of turning up. See, when you realise that you carry the glory and the presence and the goodness of your God, you understand that when you turn up, things have to change. And where you turn up, things must change. So when you're turning up to work this week, you've got the God idea in that boardroom meeting. You've got the God creativity for that problem at work. You've got family can change because you turn up. Maybe he's not saved yet. Maybe she's not saved yet. But by you turning up there and bringing God into that circumstance and God in that situation, you just turning up can transform situations and circumstances that could be awesome for days and years to come in someone's life. How do you turn up? Is it just, well, oh, we'll see what happens. This Tim guy, he looks like he's about 12, but I guess he's a pastor. We'll see how he goes this morning. Are we turning up going, God, I'm hungry for you on a Sunday. I'm ready for you to move in my life. God, do something amongst us. Do something with our church. It's been 15 great years, but may there be many, many more influence and, and great success and salvations and miracles a part of this house in Jesus' Name. That we just got to turn up and my time is turning up in Jesus' Name. Number two, get involved. Get involved. I love that in Acts chapter 19, as the story continued, that Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And verse 20, at once, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc amongst the Jews and who has come here to do the same? I love that even despite Paul's reputation, even despite what he'd been doing several days before, he didn't let that be an excuse to what God had put on his life. And it says, at once he got up, sure he would have been embarrassed. The people were astonished, not astonished because of how great a preacher he was. They were astonished because this guy's a hypocrite and how dare he start saying one thing when a week ago he was saying something else. And so often the enemy would love to constrain you and keep you not involved and keep you restricted and keep the call and the gifting of God never actually in fruition, never actually walking it out because of something you've done, who you were, something you've said or the lack of resources in your life. Where God is saying, hey, I've called you. I've purposed you. I need you on this team. I've got, you, I've got something special and incredible for you to belong to. But we, so often we're like, well, well, I don't know enough. So how could I ever get involved? How could I ever speak on behalf of God? I'm not ready. I've only been around for, for a year or six months. How could I ever possibly be involved? And so often we disqualify ourselves because of who we are or what we've done, failing to realise that God has got an incredible agenda and future and promise for you. If you would just get involved. I mean, you're in a church, you're in a community that is growing. Like I love what Pastor Dave was talking about. Just get involved with the kids' church, kids' world. Kids' world, amen. Just get involved. Do something, raise generations of world changers. Do something. Don't just see yourself as, oh, I'm just gonna contribute and give me, give me, give me. No, that we would do something, get involved. But so often it's like, well, I'm, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. How could I know? It's a lie from the enemy. And he would love to keep you small, restricted, thinking small. I could never have a great business. I could never have a great family. God has called you to do something great in Jesus' Name. <laughs> Number three, prefer one another. Prefer one another. You want to maximise maturity through community then. As we see in Acts chapter 9, in verse 23 to 25, that they all knew how to prefer one another. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill Him. But Saul learned of their plan and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill Him. But His followers, watch this, but His followers took Him 
by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. It's, I love this part of the story. I don't know about you, but I, I see things in pictures. So I'm there, I'm right there. He's, people are on the gates looking to kill him. He's become not very popular Saul. He was going to be the one do the killing. Now he's the one being the kill E, like he's not popular. And to get away from this, there's a bunch of people who are his followers who loved him, believed him, they were the community, who said, hey, we're gonna lower you down through the hole in the wall in a basket. And like, we got you, Saul, we got you, they lower him down. We don't know their names. We know lowering a full-sized man would have been hard work. We know that it's not glorious, it's not glamorous. We don't read about how amazing job they did. All we got from the Bible is they lowered him down in a basket. That's all we know about they, his followers. But they were the community that without them, Saul ends up dead never becomes Paul, never goes to do what he's supposed to do. But because some people were happy in anonymity to say, we got you, we got you, Saul. We, we, we know what's on your future. We know we need you. So we're gonna lower you down in this basket because we know and recognise there's something great on your life. Here's the problem with our churches today in Christianity. We wanna be in the basket. Can someone please lower me down into my future, into my calling? Can I please be the one who's popular? Can I please be the one who everyone recognises as, as the man, as the Saul? But you know what the church needs? A whole bunch of people who say, hey, I don't need to be in the basket, but oh my goodness, if I can just get on the end of this rope and lower as many people I can into the call of God that's on their life, we could become who God's called us to be as the church. Oh, and then we might do something. But so often we get distracted with comparison. We get distracted with competitiveness. We get distracted with, hey, I'm a better person and Christian than that person. And we think it's being mature and how more mature I can get, failing to realise that maturity doesn't look like how popular we get. Maturity looks like, am I willing to prefer someone and their gifting and their calling over mine? Because I wanna be a part of their wins, not just a part of mine. Oh, I love it that if the Church of Jesus Christ could be more about, hey, can I, can I help you? Can I help you into your calling? Can I give you an opportunity? Can I support you? Can I wrestle and contend in prayer for you? Can I be on your side? Can, as you look down the road, realise there's people around you who just want to champion you? Imagine that. Instead of being consumed with wanting to be in the basket and being a part of a generation that's maybe more narcissistic and we want to admit that, hey, it's all about us, let's stop being about us and saying, hey, I'm going to champion that person. I'm going to champion that person. And if they become all they need to become, then we become all we need to become in Jesus' Name. Number four, that we would release resources. We want to maximise maturity through community. We want to be Lifehouse. We want to be Hill, uh, Hillsong Church. We want to be the Church of Jesus Christ that He's called us to be. Then we've got to release resources. Verse 28 of Acts chapter 9. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem and speaking boldly in the Name of the Lord. He talked and debated, and, uh, but they tried to kill him again. He's very popular these days to being killed. In verse 30, when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. I love this. They're loving what he's doing. They love Saul. He's having a huge impact in their lives. He's well loved. And instead of going, hey, we're gonna keep protecting you. We'll keep lowering you in the baskets. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep you all to ourselves. They take him down to Caesarea. They pay for him to get on a boat and they send him off into his next season of life. What a wonderful picture of a community saying, hey, we know there's more on your life. So off you go. We'll release you into all that God's got for you. How, what about your resources on your life? Your time, your finance, your energy, your family, is it yours? It's like, well, this is just my resource and I've got to keep it safe and keep it hidden and make sure it is. Or do we say, hey, as a community, we're going to release our resources. I love that we stand in this miracle building. Nearly, I think two years at Christmas time, they were telling me. Amazing. We at Hillsong Church, especially a couple of our campuses, we know what it's like to bump in and bump out. 
I'm praying that one day we will have a wonderful carpet and building and pulpit and just let me touch the LED wall again, just to claim it in Jesus' Name, Amen, that we will have these things. But someone has gone before you, before you turned up in this building and paid with their resources, with their time, with their finance, so that one day a community that may, they may never even meet you, they may never actually shake your hand, but they gave because they knew the power of releasing resource and what that does to a body of people in a community. You know what that is? That does something special amongst people that says, I will prefer you, yes, but I'll also release my resource. I'll also pay for you to get to your next season. I'll pay for your internship. I'll do something about it. Maybe it's not the financial thing that you have right now. Maybe it's finances are poor, but you've got time to invest in others in a life group and, and turn up and, and be there and lead others and, and, and teach others. You've got time to, and, and, and energy to, to be around others and serve on a weekend that we'd release our resource. It wouldn't be like this. The Bible promises us, it's amazing that if we live like this, oh, that our life actually gets stingy and smaller and smaller. But as we release, our world gets bigger and bigger. Don't be fooled into thinking that your life is going to be fine like this. No, release resources. It comes from maturity. As you give, as you give, as you give, it's amazing how God does something great in your life also. And if Jesus talks about it, He says that if you want to be great, you've got to become the servant of all. And serving all is giving and giving and giving. But the fifth and final thought this morning, if we're going to maximise our maturity, is that we'd stay accountable. Yeah. Stay accountable. I am, um, as a teenager, I grew up at Hillsong Church, like I said, and there'd be times, especially through as our youth ministry, you know, we'd be having discipleship and it was fantastic. And I'd have my accountability friends. We were friends, we'd talk about things. And, and I remember there was one stage where it got a little bit unhealthy, almost. It was like, accountability, instead of looking like cheering each other on, it more looked like, you've been a naughty boy. Have you read your Bible this week? Have you done your prayer life this week? How many times have you sinned? And that's kind of how it would be. And instead of turning this wonderful adventure of God into becoming perfect, complete, lacking nothing, nothing, with, well, nothing which belongs left out, it became, you better, you better be better, you better be better, you better be better. And sometimes we, we miss the beauty of accountability in the community that we're a part of. Community isn't about empowering each other to be policemen in our community. It's about cheering each other on and keeping each other accountable to the call of God that's on our lives. Watch what happens. So now Saul has gone off to Tarsus. Remember, he's, they've sent him on a ship from Caesarea. He's gone on to Tarsus. And now he's standing in Tarsus. But there's a guy in Acts chapter 11. I think it's about verse 25. And it says that, yep, they, then Barnabas went to Tarsus looking for Saul. I love it. Barnabas turns up. He understands maximising maturity through community. He turns up. It was easier for him to stay where he was. It cost him to get to Tarsus. It cost him inconvenience. He would have family and friends and community where he was. But he said, hey, it's time for me to get from where I am because there's this guy named Saul and he's not meant to stay in Tarsus. So it says that he went to Tarsus looking for Saul and he finds him. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So now, hey, let's go from Tarsus and let's go to Antioch. So for a whole year, a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught with great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is cool. So because a guy named Barnabas leaves his where he is, turns up where he's meant to be, goes looking for Saul and says, hey, you, the season's finished here. It's now time to move on and let's go find this next season in Antioch. And because Barnabas went looking for Saul in Tarsus and took him to Antioch, we now have this name called Christians. 
And it happened there in Antioch because a guy named Barnabas went and found Saul, started teaching this whole church in Antioch and this whole community started to thrive because two people decided to say, hey, we're not gonna stay comfortable. We're not just gonna be convenient, but we're gonna get up and keep each other accountable to the call of God in our lives and cheer each other on because God has got something incredible to do through us. And now we're called Christians because these two guys got off their backsides, went from Tarsus to Antioch, and now we get to live in the promises of what they established for us as a community of believers. But if Barnabas never gets to Tarsus to find Saul, Saul never gets to Antioch, never gets to learn how to preach more, never gets how to learn to lead more and just stays as Tarsus. That would have been great for Saul, but it wasn't what God had for him. He never would have achieved his maturity, complete, perfect, lacking nothing, nothing which belongs left out. He never would have achieved that if someone didn't come looking for him in Tarsus. He needed Barnabas to keep him accountable to his future, not just his present. Now here's the deal. Every time I'm preaching in this morning, I'm preaching about it and it's great. And we're like, oh, I just wanna be Saul. Where's my Barnabas? Where's someone gonna come up to me and, and remind me that my seasons are now finished and they're gonna give me opportunity? That's not the point of this message. I wish, I wish you all to be great Sauls and I believe it's the case. But if I'm talking to us, the body of Christ, that may be mature, fully complete, lacking nothing, nothing miss, miss, missing out, then here's the deal. Maybe we should be less focused on becoming Saul and more focused on becoming Barnabas. Maybe we should be more focused on becoming Epiphasis for each other and saying there's a Saul sitting beside you that may not become Paul if you don't get off your backside and go find where they are and go, hey, God's got more for you. Hey, I know you think you've messed up. I know you think your marriage is over. I know you think your ministry is done, but I'm here as your Barnabas to remind you that God spoke about your life. We've prayed for you and we believe there's greater things ahead of you than anything that's behind. There's gonna be people in this room that go find the business person and say, hey, I know you look like you're on the edge of bankruptcy, but I'm believing that dream in your heart was given to you by God. And I'm here to be your Barnabas to cheer you on. I'll give my resource, I'll give my time. I'll pray with you because I believe that God has much more ahead of you. Oh, this is how the church is meant to look. Not, oh, what are they wearing? How are they looking? How are they talking? How are they praying? No. Oh, that we would get off our rusty dusties and say, come on, I'm gonna wrestle and contend for you. I'm gonna believe for you. We may disagree on some things, but let's find on what we agree on. And we're gonna believe that the Name of Jesus Christ will have His way in our life so that we can become fully mature, assured, lacking nothing, perfect and complete, knowing we are exactly who God has called us to be, doing exactly what He's called us to do. In Jesus' Name, can anyone say Amen this morning? Amen. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? Hi, I'm Richard Gabaki and pastor of Lifehouse Church. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message and I hope and pray that you feel that it's added value to your life. My greatest desire is to see people develop a personal relationship with Jesus, which can begin by praying a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer right now and if you'd like to begin that relationship, you can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I choose you as my only hope of being forgiven. Please come into my life and let me begin a relationship with you that will last for all eternity. If you've prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it and celebrate your fantastic decision. You can do that by sending an email to mydecision at lifehouse.com.au. We look forward to hearing from you.